how do we saturate our market? Like the market's out there. How do we do it? And like the answer is mostly that you just kind of you just kind of can't because at that point it's about do enough people know about it. And, and that's that's where you use whatever algorithms that you have access to. So like Steam's tag system. That's like that's its whole purpose actually is to show your game to people who probably like it. Yeah. yeah. But but even like as a, as a person who like I as a person who is a chartered financial analyst who's obsessed with space and video games, I still did not pick up Eve Online until twelve years after it launched. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 334 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game Dev Comedy Podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and Svelte is the best. I'm Sam and that sounded like Daffy Duck. <laughs> the 334. Svelte is Yeah, Svelte is a front-end framework. I'm not even going to talk about it because I'm not even talking about the word Svelte. I'm talking about Seth Gore. He's talking about my... He's talking about... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, uh, this is a show where we talk about. Oh, wait, sorry. Do we even introduce ourselves? Uh, I, I got so thrown I got myself yeah, we did. introduced. We did. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I got so thrown off by the Daffy Duck moment. Yeah. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is October 21th, 2021. Before we get started, <laughs> we have a warning. Anything could happen in this show, especially profanity. Just and tons almost of exclusively it. profanity. Yep. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, who, uh, whose money we grabbed. Uh, all right, you guys. Hmm. Now, there's a couple of stuff that we got to talk about that's happening in the world Happening in the world today. Is one of them okay. that Dune comes out today? Oh, my God. Like, literally that, today. That I'm excited about. Well, I'm neutral about. I'm excited uh, because to- it's already been out in other countries, and it's apparently gotten very good. Reviews. Okay, they did good. like a soft launch, which is weird, frankly. But I guess that's yeah, what that's, that's an, people been doing that lately for movies now too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pumped about it. I'm gonna Dune it. Didn't they? They made Dune in like the 80s or something. They've done it a movie. few times. Um, yeah, uh, and it's always kind of not landed super well. No, I think yeah. I think we we needed to be like the stuff that people are able to do in movies and just TV shows today is fucking. Incredible! It is so. Like every once in a while, I'm watching one of these things, and uh, and I'm just I'm, I'm looking at it happen, and it looks. You know how you always kind of like laugh when you watch an old ass movie, and you're like, "How do people believe this?" Like you see a monster, and it's like obviously mm. a person wearing a costume, you know. And you're just, and we're just like, "Oh, we're just used to this ratcheting fidelity." So of course, back at that time, we would have been, we would have thought, like, yeah, "I don't think that's away. where we are." I think we're like literally like everything looks it, like it's fucking real. It just you know? looks really, really good. It's really good, <laughs> and it's incredible. And they're doing this in TV shows, and then and then when you see things like. There was an episode of Supergirl I saw uh, years ago or something that was like so hilariously, obviously poorly CG that I was like, but we don't have to do this anymore, you know? Why have you done Nope. I think we were waiting for that technology to get there to make Dune what it needed to be. Well, we'll see. Honestly, like TV shows 50 years from now are going to make Dune of today look like a joke, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of visual splendor. Yep. Uh, Now, I want to talk about something something that may or may not be happening, and it's this thing called the Great Resignation. Have you guys heard about this? Yeah. Have you seen this? (laughs) Read a little bit about Uh, it. So here's the... Here's the news, or here's like the conversation that's happening in the news, is that uh, in August, uh, 4.3 million people in the U.S. quit their jobs. This is coming from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. or one of the one of those government 
labor statistical bodies. There's a couple of them actually. Um, so 4.3 million people quit their jobs, uh, which was up 242,000 from July. So in July, about four, you know, 4.1 million people quit their jobs. Uh, that puts a quit rate at 2.9% of the entire workforce quit in August. Okay. Uh, Do we have a baseline? Which, which we, uh, none of these articles I've seen have a baseline. Do we right? know how many people also got jobs? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you don't know how no. many of those people got jobs. You might know uh, job gains, but you don't know what the yeah. crossover. Is. We don't know what the net is, but but the general. But what I think is interesting about this is actually the the conversation around it, yes. right? Because yeah. like like if if the let's say the baseline is like four million people quitting every month, but then this month it was four point three, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not like a huge surge, really. And like I don't really know what the baseline is, but what I'm wondering is because now there's actually Actually, been just for the past probably couple of weeks. Actually, there's been a lot of news and podcasts and articles and whatever about. And this thing has a name. People are calling it the Great Resignation, right? And it's like once a thing has a name, it's alive now. It's like it's out there. Yeah, whether it's, it's in its whether it's real what, or not, or whether there's yeah. like important nuance or not. But it's got it a doesn't name matter now. anymore yep. because. Now, like what if if people start to hear about this idea of like everybody's quitting their jobs because they're sick of it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then that that can create like a self-perpetuating cycle where where people think, well, why am I the sucker who's putting up with crap mm-hmm. from my boss, right? Uh, I'm gonna quit too, right? And so at, like as this concept is entering the public consciousness, I think it's gonna create a feedback loop that's gonna accelerate the process. Yeah. And, and like at baseline, it's probably the case that there are just these little kind of like breakpoints of of like economic metrics. You know, for example, like wages haven't really moved very much for most people in like 30 years. Yeah. Right. Yep. But cost of living just will not stop going up dramatically all of the time. Yeah. I've seen right? a lot of variable stuff on this and I can't find like a good thing that sounds accurate, you know, in terms of what the minimum wage would be today if it actually was tied to inflation instead of just random, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and I've seen variably between like like 18 and $25, like mm-hmm. as what minimum wage would be if it was equivalent to what it was when like it was first established, basically, right, today. And, yeah. and we're sitting at a third of that still in most states, yeah. you know, a third of- well, There's no state in which wage. you can rent a two-bedroom apartment anymore on minimum wage. Yep. None. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a certain point where like if cost of living goes up enough and wages stay flat enough that you, you're you screwed no matter whether you take a job or not. So why take one? Yeah. Right? And so there's there's going to be these moments where people are just – it's almost like a huge number of people are sort of independently unionizing almost. <laughs> They're all right, just like not, they're a, just not they're just not applying for jobs or they're or they're coming in and saying I'll take this job but you know double it right because what what also happened was at the start of the pandemic a lot of companies laid off a lot of people right mm-hmm. uh, because they they foresaw suppressed demand or they had suppressed demand right um, and the demand is starting to come back which means that for the people still in those jobs those jobs just got a lot harder yep. but they're not getting raises. To compensate, mm-hmm. they're just you know expected to work more, so they're fed up and they quit. Uh, but also, the companies that are that laid off people at the start of the pandemic are trying to 
backfill all the jobs that they for the people they fired, right? So they have way more job openings now uh, than people who want to work. They're not willing to pay any more than they were before. The job is harder now, right? <laughs> and so, like the, all it, these, I think the pandemic are coming also, together. The pandemic seriously reframed a bunch of stuff. I mean, across across the work lines, where it's like. Yep. You know, if you if you were driving, we talk about this a lot. Like if you were if you're commuting for an hour each way, uh, you know, every day of the week, and then you got to have that time back, be home with your family, uh, hang out. Like there's been a, a lot of the anecdotal stuff I've seen on the reporting on this is talking to people who got that time back because of even if they were just working remote, uh didn't necessarily quit their job, but were working remote. Um, and then, you know, their employer says, like, hey, we're gonna need you to start coming back in in September or October. And yeah, and, like, and tech this has been a why? big thing. Yeah, people are yeah. quitting in, in huge waves in tech for not for having to go like back into the office. Yeah, you know? it makes sense. Well, and the, the, and the job so pool easier. is is super. Like, I, I can't remember. I think it was a Planet Money podcast um, that I was listening to, and and this person was talking about how in in her field, uh, in the city that she lived in, there were like seven possible jobs mm. for her field. Right. Um, uh, and so if she ever wanted to apply, she'd have to wait for one of those to open, which means she's just kind of stuck in whatever one sh- like slot she landed in, right? Mm-hmm. But now with work from home, she's like, there's 22,000 cities in the US that have this job. Yep. And and so like I just don't have to put up with anything for my employer because I can go somewhere that pays me well. well and, and it, and it good does go both and, ways, right? Because that means that if you are really good – and and there's and there are that many yes. roles available because you can apply. Like then that means because actually it means that both markets are really big, right? Like the labor market yeah. and also the job yep. market for that that kind of labor. And but now but now actually the relative difference between them, if you for remote work, um, is now like the real one, right? It's like it's like collectively yeah. the the whole thing. So that it, so if you're in, it doesn't matter if you're in some specific city where that local job market is really good or really bad for you. Right. Um, but yes, but, but it does still create that, that both ways pressure, right. Of, of, yeah, you can like go to any one of these 22,000 jobs. Right. But they also have the whole pool of candidates if they also support remote work. Um, yep. So, so it's more yeah. competitive. Yeah, it's more competitive in both directions. But uh, but at the moment there's just so many more job openings than people willing to work, but also, and, and this is, this has been the case in a lot, uh, especially in a lot of like retail, fast food, um, restaurants, you know, whatever, where basically some restaurants are just unable to get enough people to cover shifts It's at just all. unsurprising and, though. I think my, my- Yeah, I would reframe uh, that as so many restaurants are unwilling to pay people well enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, the end of that sentence is to like- support the wages employees, they're offering. Yeah. More yeah. than they uh, allow customers to do whatever the fuck they want, Right. Like I mean, the fa- the yeah. fact that it's standard procedure for American uh, businesses, service industry businesses, to to just t- basically not to pay just, people, well, to not pay people, and tips. always take the customer side, no matter how absurd it is, and just to allow their employees to be abused, they just allow it. It's it's just okay, apparently. Like so, yeah. Why would anybody put yeah. the, like why would anybody deal with that? No, it's so a, it's I, a I did find some other numbers though, so we have more mm, of a reference point. Mm. Uh, so. The pre-pandemic uh, average quit rate, whatever, monthly quit rate. I don't know how much yeah. that changes through the year because like, apparently nobody wants to give you any meaningful numbers to help you understand what's going on. Um, <laughs> but uh, So it's in the 3.5 million range pre-pandemic, so hmm. under 2% of so the it is, So it is a big And bump. now we're sitting at almost 3% with a 4.3 so like rate. A, so it's like a 50% increase. It's yeah. a big increase, and in, in a lot Over of that, normal. a huge fraction of that, looks like it's in uh, – Retail, restaurant, yeah, service industry stuff in general. Yep, yep. 
stuff that's yeah. historically underpaid where employees are literally just abused all day, every day by all their customers and also their bosses and managers. But then so. also I think that the pandemic, I think the whole mask thing, you know, if you're, if you're a person working in basically your frontline, you know, service industry stuff, mm-hmm. uh, retail, whatever else. And then, and you're getting paid a low wage and then you're dealing with people. It's fucking anti-maskers. Yeah. For right. some reason, they're just so <laughs> worked up about this particular thing that, and they're just like, they're mean about it, right? There's, you've seen plenty of these and it just takes one of those instances, you know, like to absolutely shatter your interest in being a part of that whole situation. Yeah. Well, yeah I mean, you we know, talk yeah. constantly about how much we have to deal with like, mean players, right? Because there's there's this part of this, it's the same idea that there that we have yeah. on the internet where there's this weird acceptance of the of this expectation that if you're on the internet, you will be subject to abuse, right? Mm-hmm. And if you make a thing on the internet, if you're a creator you're of any sort, you're subject to a lot more abuse. And that's just part of like for there's this general idea that that's just part of it. That's just part of it, right? Not that it's really fucked up and we should be creating every tool. Like like the, the fact that like you can't you can't like report things in any, like I was trying to report things at TikTok periodically to be like, oh, this is like really fucked up, this thing that's happening right here. But there isn't a category for that because like it's just, most things are, it's just okay to be really horrible, right? <laughs> it's only if you start like inciting well, violence yeah. or like, okay, now you've taken it too far, right? Uh, yeah, but it's, it's now imagine though, because like I haven't worked in retail since I was in high school. Um, and, uh, and that was in a small town, like people knew people. And so, yeah, there were assholes, but it was a little harder to get away with because like you knew who the assholes were. Right. Uh, and also everybody knew because everybody knew. <laughs> everybody yeah. knew. And, uh, and also you just kind of, but I was being paid, you know, minimum wage, begrudgingly too, by my boss at like five twenty five an hour, which is what it was or five fifteen an hour. I think five fifteen. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but anyway, but I haven't, I haven't been in that environment for a long time, but that's basically the same thing as like the comments on, uh, any piece of content that goes out in the world, like a TikTok video, a tweet, a video game, Steam comments, right? It's the same environment as that, except just in real life, you yeah. know, where you can't just choose to not look at it. They're standing right in front of you. They're standing right yeah. in front of you, right? Yeah. And uh, and then and then you're also not supported by that system in the same way that like things like Steam and Google Play and TikTok, like none of these things actually support the people working there as like the people creating. Yeah, the content, as a developer, right? you can't like report a review as abusive. Yeah, you can't. You can't do that, right? Like if somebody leaves you a one star review and they're and they're just sort of it's just like laced with profanity and rage uh, toward the developer, making personal attacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, you don't you don't get to as the developer be like this really isn't this shouldn't be on here why is this allowed that's, that's you that's you sort of like manipulating the review scores yeah. well, and there's this, there's this whole category of reviewer that's like now it's yeah. like notorious on Steam right of people who come in because they don't like what they call the politics by which they mean the fact that people not like them exist right uh, right so they they hate that which is so they they just come in they, and they just start talking about how like they thumbs down a game. Because like the well, game has the a game, game character yeah. in it or something, right? And yeah. uh, and and that's why. And then Steam's like, yeah, that checks out. That's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But now, but now this for like a, for your normal retail work, I'm sure some of our listeners are dealing with mm-hmm. this shit yeah. in real life, right? Like you're just dealing with that in real life constantly. And if yeah. the institution that you're a part of, the company you're a part of, behaves the same way that all these other fucking ones do, like on the internet, right? And they do, where they just say, well, it's very important for us to have these customers, even the really bad ones. So it's more important feedback for us to have them. <laughs> feedback is important. So even if they abuse you relentlessly, we will not protect you and we will not stop it. We will not 
get these people off of our platform. And in fact, we'll invest no energy whatsoever in building and, and researching tools to figure out how to do that effectively. Like there's a reason that well, nobody's you occasionally doing get as that well, right? It's because they with like invest a in it. Boun- bouncers, you know, you, you do have mm-hmm. a, a, some institutions, have, but, but like mm-hmm. things have to go pretty far in a lot of cases before like a bouncer gets involved to, you know, chuck someone out of the facility. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. It, it, uh, That's exactly right. That's, that's the same as everywhere else, right? Because like, what, what does a bouncer do? It's like, if something looks like there's going to be a physical assault, right? Then they're like, oh, I better step in here, right? Or if somebody's being so belligerent. But things can go quite, quite a long way. They can go a that, long ways before they get there. And instead of instead of being a zero tolerance policy, we're just like, just quit being an asshole. Get out of I here. I would love to see bouncers go. at like restaurants and retail stuff. Where you're oh just my God, like, yeah. Uh, like, Jerry, could you come here? I got this, this person's just being real rude. And this just like yeah, monster just of a out. man just shows up, <laughs> stands behind you. Like, okay, could you tell Jerry what you just told me real quick? Mm-hmm. You know? Jerry doesn't like that. Jerry doesn't like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I, I think it's, there, there's just, there's so many factors and, and a lot of things in the past, you know, year and a half, past couple of years has made, I think it's made people more reflective on just thinking like, I don't want this. I don't, yeah. I don't want to do this. You know, it's not worth it. Uh, and, and people have options uh, that they didn't have before because of just the fact that like so many other people are quitting and there's so many job openings mm-hmm. and whatever, right? So it's a very interesting time. Uh, I, I just wanted to sort of put a pin in that, you know, because one of the things that I I enjoy about about having this uh, podcast is like it's it's a weekly snapshot of just like what's going on. The state of the world. In the world or what's going on with our lives and, and – um, I don't know. Like th- this time that we're living in is just a. There's just a lot of really wild stuff happening that I well, want to yeah. make sure that I, we don't just gloss over. <laughs> there's that. There's that. Uh, I don't know if it's like a real term or just something that people kind of like adopted recently. But that idea of late stage capitalism, you know, mm. where like we have like our system is bad. There's just no way around that very obvious fact. Um, if you're really invested in the badness, then of course you're going to try to fight that claim, right? But like, well, it's bad. It's, a, it's not. It's not individually bad for everyone. But for almost everybody, right? But Um, for almost everybody, it's pretty bad. So so like that's the system we're in. That's been true for a long time. But it's but like there have been aspects of it that have gotten a lot worse because of deregulation, because of there's you know, infinite list of things. If I'm sure there's a thousand books about this topic, right? Um, but like it's it's gotten really, really bad. And then we get hit by, you know, we've what we've been alive for now, like two depressions or whatever. Um and uh, and then also a pandemic, right? So then, like, there are these like these view-shattering moments that just change how you see the world, right? Coupled with the fact that everything keeps getting worse, uh, and it gets actually like harder to get by as as an American under our particular version of of capitalism. And like at some point, it just has to buckle because yeah. the fact there's, that there's, it has it, breakpoints, despite the fact that you're just allowed to go to. To, you're allowed to have somebody force you to choose between death and bankruptcy, right? That's just the th- that's just a thing we allow to be true, right? Mm-hmm. You're allowed just to not have health insurance because it's tied to your employer. So if you can't get a job, you just don't. Meanwhile, get Jeff Bezos is going to space. I think that's it's really it's actually the yeah, contrast because the thing is when these things are happening, but like no one's going to space, then it doesn't feel. Yeah, yeah. If it's as happening to everybody, then we're all in the same boat. Yeah, everyone's like, well, we're this like, well, shitty, this, yeah, this just sucks. Can't figure it out. No one's figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> but then as soon as you have like the, basically, I think as soon as that level of that level of inequality starts getting like just so high that it becomes it becomes 
was the whole thing about like satire where you can't tell the difference between the satire and the actual oh, thing. Oh yeah, right. I can't remember what that law is, but like there's that that sort of thing yeah. happening. I think as soon as that happens, you start hitting this point where everyone's like, "What the?" I think it's Poe's law. Poe's yeah. law. Yeah. The thing is, like, I like I don't I don't think this is. I, I think you're right, Adam, in the sense that that uh, things are generally trending negative for most people. Yeah. Right. But I think it's also the case that seeing something like what's happening with this sudden, like this great resignation thing, right, is is sometimes when things swing in that direction, then people get fed up and start doing shit about it. Yeah, yeah eventually. Right? Yeah. Well, exactly. So, is is people have to get to the point where they're just so desperate because the system can't because like the system doesn't work for people that uh, are making minimum wage, right? It doesn't. It traps you there forever. And that's been true for a long time. Um, but you could still, like, on average, like, stay in a home while this while, while you were basically near bankruptcy constantly, right? Um, but that but like that fact is becoming less true, like way less true, because yeah, because housing has become so unaffordable at the same time that, that wages haven't changed, right? And so we're hitting that point where it's like it doesn't like as you were saying earlier, like it doesn't actually matter if you go to work, right? Yeah, because well, you're, well, there's, it, that's not going to keep you off of the street. That's not going to allow you to get medical care. Like it actually isn't going to enable anything for you. Well, you you could, but you would have to go to two or three jobs, you know, full yeah. full time or whatever. Yeah. So so yeah, there's there's like there's these these moments where people just uh you know get fed up and, and you know back in the day this was handled by you know worker unions and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, which have really kind of de- you know declined dramatically in terms of how many like proportion of the population is in them, but but I don't know. I mean, and, and there's a lot of conversations in the games industry as well about yeah about working like this has always been the case in the games industry about working conditions and um, and crunch time and and suppressed wages relative to other fields with the same you know skill set and all of that stuff. So uh, you know, I mean, there's just it's it's always a give and take where like the the em- employers are always trying to take as much as they can and give as little as they can right and they just will keep doing that right up until they've taken too much and then there's a reckoning moment right yeah. well i mean but they've and been like that's they've where been i think taking we're too much for a long time right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so it's yeah, so actually I, I saw it'll be interesting to see where kind of where this this all goes yeah but. yeah i saw a frame that i thought was really good because i it's like it's one of those ones that's like obvious once you see it you know what i hadn't before um which was somebody was was explaining their position that if the argument against like raising minimum wage being like oh well then these small small companies will go out of business because they can't afford it right and his his argument was based was just good right he said good because if the only way they can actually uh afford to keep the business going is by exploiting their workers right they're actually the money is not coming from their customer base. It's coming from their employees, right? Like that's basically, what's, that's actually, <laughs> that's, like, where the, that's where the profit margin that's where the, is. Yeah, that's, that's where the profit margin is, is in, is specifically in not paying their employees. Cause if, cause the argument that if I pay my employees more, I won't have enough money, right? Mm-hmm. Means that literally that's where the money's coming from. And so. Well, and I've, I've all, I mean, I've also, I've, Personally, spoken to quite a few people who hold who hold the I'll call, I'll call it a privileged view who hold the privileged view that that working in retail or something is a transitionary job for for example for high school students yeah right where they, where they just say like yeah, I mean that's just a job you take like it's an incredibly privileged when you view, yeah. when you just need some extra spending cash for a summer between college semesters yeah, or ignoring whatever, the right? fact that uh, most teenagers live in near poverty households, right? 
Yeah. And they'll, and they'll need that. But, it, but it's also the case that they're, you know, there are people who, who do depend on that. For oh, yeah, every, absolutely. Everything, all but, the time. But even right? the so, pool who they say it's for, right? The majority of people, like of the high school kids who, for whom it's supposed to be a transition, right? Also need it. Also yes. need it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I, I was trying to, ex- I was trying to explain that concept, but I, it, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult to kind of get those ideas across because everybody's coming from, you know, different backgrounds. But uh, anyways, let's, yeah. let's hop off of this thing. Well, yeah, I think the last piece <laughs> of this topic, for, because, because there are people who like, who want to just staunchly defend the, the shit system we have, you know, it's, but so all, all I'm going to leave that with then is whatever it is that you think is like the way the things should be if you're defending the way things are, uh, think through the consequences of that belief and then decide, do you still believe that? Right. Because there are things like, if you think that if somebody doesn't have a, like if somebody is, doesn't have a job that they should be homeless. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you think like there, there are these like consequences of this, right. That like if people need medical care and they can't afford it, they should die. Right. Cause these are actually the consequences of most of the beliefs that support the system that we have. So just think through to the end of that and just ask yourself, is that really what I believe? Yeah. Do you believe in the consequences? Kudos for consistency. But I mean, I remember, I remember when Sam, when you got your diagnosis, I think it, I think it was our, cause this was around the time that like Obamacare was a big part of the national conversation. Yeah. Universal healthcare. Uh, which, of course, we don't actually have universal health care. We have, like, forced people to buy health insurance. <laughs> yep. But, you know, hey. Uh, so, but I remember, I think, Sam, you were talking to maybe our grandpa at the time mm-hmm. about this. And he was talking about how he didn't think that – he didn't think – he thought that uh, that if you just made good decisions, then you would just be healthy. And then you wouldn't have to – you, know, oh, yeah. you wouldn't need to worry yeah. about it. So, yep. he, so he shouldn't have to subsidize other people's unhealthy lifestyles, Right. And then Sam at 23 in perfect health suddenly gets stage four cancer diagnosis, right? And uh, and it's you know so you were like, well, what about this situation? Yeah, I was like, well, about, <laughs> I was like what about right. me? Like I'm on I'm on like because he was talking to you about this like while you were going through the treatments, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and he didn't connect the. But I think that's the hard the thing. Dots, it's like the reality yeah. is it's it's very hard to actually see to see. Because it's it's perfectly it's I think it's reasonable to say something like like oh yeah you know I think people should take care of themselves and if you don't take care of yourself like there's consequences for that and like that's kind of what it is like sure okay yeah which statistically is, is true right like if you smoke your whole life you're in a much higher yeah. risk pool for mm-hmm. a bunch of things the problem right? is gotta, true. you still got to walk to the end of that line though, because what you yeah. are literally saying is that yep. you think that if somebody is a smoker for example and then they get cancer that they deserve yep. to die <laughs> yep. that's what that is literally yep. what you're saying in that position yep. I think right? it, but the problem is like it's not that you don't you don't necessarily walk you don't walk all the way through to the consequences you usually start on the yeah. principal side and don't you don't go principles are typically what drive a lot of the conversation around yeah your lawmaking and policy making, not the consequences. And so I think that's that's the unfortunate fact. And the fact like even when you're well and they're they're decoupled from consequences completely. Yeah. And even right. when you're well, you principles know. principles are idealized, right? It's saying like people get sick because they've because they've made unhealthy decisions. That's what I believe. And so therefore if you get sick, then it was your own fault and you should have to you know, deal with the consequences of your own actions, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the that's the sort of like pie in the sky. I think my favorite princi- principle, but it doesn't actually work. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not real. My favorite weird know? example is because, like, the reality is there's, there's. I don't know if it's just the if it's the American system in particular, but like the focus on the individual's power and capability is like a big part of kind of our, our cultural like the cultural undercurrent. And it's so interesting because like when you think about really simple statistics, like okay, when daylight savings changes. 
there's like a shitload more accidents the Monday following yeah. that, right? So, yeah. but think about this for a second, right? Because what that means is that there's there's a number of accidents that literally wouldn't have happened if, as a group, we all collectively didn't agree to do some weird shit like move the clock by an hour. So when you get into <laughs> yeah, it, when, you, start, when you, you drill into it just a little bit on that, where it's like, okay, so given that, um, like some number of accidents, some number of deaths, some number of just general property damage occurs because of this decision that we made collectively, uh, then it's it's weirder than on an individual level, right, to put all the responsibility, certainly some, you can always put some, but like all the responsibility into an individual person in that particular context for like, now that person has to go to the hospital or, uh, you know, their car is totaled and have to deal with that and like, it's just it gets it gets harder to actually say a hundred percent. This is my issue with it generally is like a hundred percent that it's your responsibility every time. And well, it's to like, me, it's eh, a two part. It's really not because you know, that's mixed. right. Yeah, it's like because because it's not really your like it's it's every responsibility. You're part sure, of a right? system. But you are part of the a system. more important thing is that even if something was mostly your responsibility, right? Does that mean that like under the circumstance you should you should go just bankrupt? Right. Yeah. Like, at what point do we say, okay, well, this this is enough your responsibility now that you should not be able to live in a house anymore? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, or especially <laughs> wild shit like like if an ambulance ride is like ten thousand dollars, yeah, which it is, right? Then it's like, okay, at some point you might some idiot might swerve into you on the highway. Yep. Right. And like you were doing a hundred percent of the Mind right your own stuff. Yep. Mind yep. your own business. Boom. Some. Ding dong comes flying in and sideswipes you, and you fly in the ditch. And maybe you maybe you're even fine, right? But maybe you've got like your back hurts a little bit or something. And it's like, oh well, we're gonna take you to the hospital, like just in case, oh, whatever the fuck. So you, they throw you in the what do they call it? The wee woo wagon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they throw you in there, take you to the hospital. Uh, boom, you're bankrupt, right? Uh, and, and you got and you have no transportation because your car is destroyed. There's a bunch of other stuff you've got to deal with. Now. And you don't maybe get to, you don't lose. get to know how much your healthcare costs. You know, before you get it. Yeah. And maybe you also lose your job because you need your transportation to get there and some stuff goes down and they need to fill in and whatever, right? Like a lot of bad stuff can happen because like some idiot just showed up out of nowhere, right? Or Uh, it doesn't have to be an idiot. It's just a fucking accident. It could have been the morning after daylight savings. Daylight savings. They poured some coffee on themselves because they're a little Somebody was just tired. Yeah. 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 The problem is we're so so obsessed with like punishment and responsibility, right? Because like as a culture, we fucking love punishing people. Oh, I think we're obsessed with it on an individual level, but not with responsibility on a societal level. And I think that's what's uncomfortable. Because like when you really get down to it, it's like, okay, yeah, you're you're obsessed with the idea like you are responsible for like for you. But the fact that like that we have a system that generates, you know, bankruptcy when you need healthcare. And, and and apparently it's just like how we're you know people are very excited or, about defending yeah. that thing. It's like where's the where's the responsibility on a systems level on a on a societal level for one another? And this is the same thing with the masking thing. You know, it's like come on, come on. <laughs> no, people, well, yeah, yeah. We, we've some, we've landed in a in a cultural space where we we don't want to be responsible for others yeah. at all, right? Uh, and we yeah. believe, but I mean, this is also the case. Like you always see this, like somebody, somebody ranting against, uh, you know, universal health care. Uh, and then that same person will throw up a GoFundMe page as soon as they have to yeah. go to the hospital. Right. Yep. And it's like, you are asking for the, right. Because it's sort of the, I don't want other, I don't want to be responsible for other people's shit. People need to take care of their shit. Right. And then suddenly you need your shit taken care of and you can't. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to ask for help because you need help. 
Yeah, you're right? atomized. Because we all we all need help yeah. at various times, and we don't get to decide when or how we need help or what help we need. It's just based on what random bullshit life threw at us that day, right? Yep. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, hopefully we get there. I, th- I, I feel like generationally things are slowly moving in that way, but – but oh boy, it's yeah. like a it's, it's a big uh, ship to well, turn I around. Think also, population level, like we're already sort of there, right? The problem is that that the the people who get to decide what happens are not part of the population who wants yeah. things to. Like I don't know, if, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, there's a, there's a metric that's really interesting, which is that if you look at like all the bills that pass at both at the state and federal level, and compare the probability of them passing compared to their popular support. Oh, right? I saw this. Yeah. They're uncorrelated. They are not they're totally They're not yes. correlated. It's just it's just 30% correlated. Was it just a 30% just, shot? Yes. It's, yes. It's just, it's just completely unrelated, right? Yeah. The things that people want and vote for do not happen, yep. do not matter. <laughs> they just uh, don't matter. So, well, but I mean, it's like, it's like we talked about with the, the turbo tax thing, right? It's like, if you ever ask the question, why is this like this? Yeah. Uh, the answer is it makes more money this way. Yeah. For someone. <laughs> for Intuit specifically. It, and probably the person who, uh, who makes a lot of campaign donations. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, let's get on to some questions. Yeah. So that's enough talking about, that's enough talking about game dev. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into some Fuck questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest up for the question comes from fly hoppy Axe Rampa, who says, I just noticed on steam, you only have the basic level head trailer with albeit epic background music. Not the hilarious release trailer with the amazing voice acting. What was the logic behind that decision? Because that release trailer is like the greatest of all time of trailers. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you, Fly Hoppy. So we did, we've done a bunch of experiments. This is when we were trying to see uh, basically if we could bump up level heads, sort of like someone landing on the page to purchasing the game rate. Yeah. And we had a lot of ideas about what might be contributing to what we thought was like a lower than average or lower than we would want. Uh, essentially, I don't know what you call that, like purchase rate. rate, conversion rate. Yeah. And so one of them was like, okay, you know, you change the icon, you change uh, some of the blurb. All the, we did all the cheap stuff first to see if that would do anything. Didn't really do much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we could actually, by changing the Steam slug, we could get more people to come to the page, but we couldn't. And the Steam tags, that also helped a lot. Yeah, the Steam tags. The was biggest gains big. we saw were from the tags and the slug. Yes. Um, but even so, they didn't actually change the purchase rate very much. So uh, if at all. Yeah, but that's still good though, because if you bring more people in and the conversion rate's the same, it's still yep. it's more yeah. a win, right? Yeah. yeah. So we were able to get some uh, some increases in just general uh, you know, conversion there, but or in, not in conversion, but in, in general kind of money-making power there. But then the final one was saying, okay, you know, let's look at, take a look at this trailer and see if there's something we're focusing on that may be based on what people are actually looking for in a game. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. words, what when there's someone's shopping for a game, what are they trying to buy? And one of our theories was that uh, actually the, the sort of creative aspect of of Levelhead, while it is the core actually to the long game, the reality is that someone needs to really enjoy and experience and be excited about the platforming aspect first. Mm-hmm. Because of course, if you look at a game and you're like, I, you know, if it looks like shit, but you can build levels in it, or like it doesn't seem like it'd be fun, then like it's not like you care about building levels. Yeah, you don't want to build. Yeah, you don't want to build levels for a game that you don't like. Yeah, and so it was basically yeah. the, the recognition, like the the level building part of Levelhead, uh, 
we came to believe as being what we refer to as the kicker. So you got a hook and you got a kicker, right? In terms of like this marketing idea where a kicker is more like the sustained long-term interest that once someone's in the game, it's a thing that keeps them in it. But from mm-hmm. an external context, may not actually give them enough information to really make a purchasing decision on, right? So yeah. for example, if you have like really excellent matchmaking in your, like some, you know, multiplayer game you're making, that doesn't matter until later because like basically if, I, if I'm not going to buy the game because the matchmaking is good, I'm going to buy it because it looks cool and it fits kind of what I'm like my mood for me into. So we tried to make a, we made a new trailer then that was just focused really intensely on really on that core experience of, of, of the platforming play to see that it work. Um, yep. And then try to I streamline otherwise what was there just to have like the things that showcased what the game looks like as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's less about what's like what, we took away, you know, and more about what is, what is there. Right. So it's not that we took away that trailer because like we were trying to take the jokes and et cetera away or whatever. Right. It's, mm-hmm. we had this, this, uh, this model, there's possible model of what might bring, bring players in. Um, and we needed a trailer that was specifically for that. So we put that in and then took the other one out so we could actually understand like if there was a yeah. difference, but that's what it was for. Right. And similar deal with screenshots. We actually had a, I went a lot more screenshots, but they showed like the editor and some other stuff that like when you're looking at it without having experienced the game, it's very hard to tell what's it's, going on. Yeah. So, so we, we thought that that's probably not a way to like sell the game is to be like, look at this dope, a still image of this dope editor, right? Like it doesn't really <laughs> work. Right. Or, or even showing stuff like, cause you can handcraft some really beautiful stuff. Right. But the end, but the core like underlying system is just, it's just a grid where everything is the same size. Right. And so if you get a screenshot of something where like it, it's obviously on a grid, then that is, even if it was like part of a really cool scene in which you were like, that if you were playing the game, you would experience, right? It doesn't mean that a still from it is going to be a selling point. So yeah. we try to like pull that stuff out and try to leave behind the stuff that seemed the most compelling for what we learned over time was basically like a hardcore platformer audience, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be the, the bread and butter. Because it seems like people come in for that and then start playing community levels and then yes. get into and then the, get into the building. building. Right. Yeah. So I think what we, I, th- I believe we did, we did see an increase in conversion from the trailer. Uh, it was the first one that we got, but it wasn't like a ton. So we were like, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it looked like it was, and it's hard to tell whether there's real noise because yeah. there's very noisy, but, um, but even with the noise, it looked like we got something like maybe a 10% sort of mm-hmm. uh, improvement, which could be just due to noise, right. Could be due to anything. Cause it's not, it's not, it wasn't like a 2x thing, right? Which is different because I, I will say for everybody who, out there who's got a game on Steam, revisit your tags because there's nothing oh, yeah. we've ever done ever that has yeah. had a bigger impact than changing our tags on Steam. And they have a tag well, wizard is, thing, is, which lets you play around with it, which is fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, go do that. Yeah, and this is because one of the strongest determining factors of whether people buy your game is the genre. Yes. And Actually, well, that's, probably the, that's probably the top it is. factor. Well, it's that, but it's also like, uh, does your game look to them similar enough to games they like that they'll give it a moment, but then once they get in there, different enough that they think it's a new experience, right? Yeah. Well, and yeah. That, well, there needs to be a hook, though, to to get them, right? It needs to yeah. be like, oh, this is like a thing that I yeah, exactly. enjoy. Yeah, the, the hook but, is that but, relationship. Yeah. And but Steam also, uses tags for that. Seems like... Everybody thinks like Steam's algorithm is like some like doing some real magic behind the scenes, and like it's not that it's not complicated. It certainly is doing cool stuff, right? But it's not like it's not terrible. It doesn't understand what a game is, right? It doesn't understand the content of a game. All it does is it looks at the tags on it, and then the people who play it. Those are the two things that it looks at, right? And and then it uses how tags relate 
games to each other by having similar tags. Like having lots of like the more overlap the tags have, that's what Steam is like, oh, these are like the same game, right? And this person buys these games, so I'm going to give them these games. This person buys these games, them. exactly, right? And that's the whole thing. And so, but if you can line that up so that, like, in our case, if we think that people who love Super Meat Boy would love Levelhead, then we look at the tags that are on Super Meat Boy, basically, right? And you just, like, use those same tags because that's going to increase the likelihood that when people see Super Meat Boy in some context, it seems like, oh, hey, here's a similar mm-hmm. game, right? Yeah. So well, but, there's, but there's a there's a problem, though, because there's this, like, a uh, self-perpetuating feedback loop because yeah. there, there's a website called steamlikes.com yes. or something like that. I can't remember, I can't remember what the dot part I think is. That's right. Steam likes, where it shows you uh, how many other games your game is shown on their page. So if you're looking at Super Meat Boy and then on the page you'll say games like this and then it'll, you know, whatever number. So there's a problem here which is like if you create a game in a genre that is underpopulated, meaning there just aren't that many games in that genre, then the total number of places your game can show up is dramatically suppressed. Yes. Because no, you're not going to see Super Meat Boy when you're looking at RimWorld. Yeah. Right? But if you make sort of like a, a simulation survival game, right? Okay, well, there's like 3,000 of those on... Yeah. yeah there's like 3,000 yeah. of those on Steam. So suddenly there's a ton of places your game can show up uh, and, and Steam will show your game there if it's getting good review scores, if it's getting velocity or whatever. But at the same time, there's only so many other games like your game, right? So, so that, that's where like the genre is so, so important for driving traffic. Um, and then like Adam Sam we're talking about, once, once they get to your page, you've got a whole new set of challenges yeah. to, to get them to buy it, right? But even just getting people to your page – is so strongly determined by the genre, the genre of your game. Yeah. Well, actually, which is, it is that, which is that informed by the tags. Yeah, yeah. there's an important nuance too because there's there's this there's a, there's an idea that people have that like they need the the thing that has the most eyeballs to like then that's what visibility is, right? Which is actually not true. What you want is the most the most eyeballs, the most quality eyeballs, right? So as in quality, you want the right the right people, the right eyeballs. Yeah, you want the, the people right who would want the thing that you have, right? Because if you take like the Steam pop up, which is seen by everybody, right? Uh, the vast majority of users for any game don't care about that game, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter that 9 million people saw it if if 8.5 million of those people would just don't care. That just but Actually, it, it used to matter, right? I mean, it, it mattered when there was like a couple games coming out on Steam a, a week, right? Because- Oh, people didn't just look at everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a, a game launching, like pe- people actually had a, were more willing to try out a diverse- sort of palette of things at that time. I think because... I bought like the first 50 games that came out on Steam. Probably. Yeah. And it <laughs> like, didn't really matter what they were. Cause you were like, yeah. Oh, this came out. It's got good reviews. It's I don't like know. the Steam right. seal of approval at that time. Right. Yeah. And so now the problem is like, there's so many things that everyone is a discerning buyer. Right. And so, so uh, most of the time when the Steam pop-up shows up, I just get, I don't even look at it. I just hit close. I'm like, probably not for many clothes. But I can, <laughs> yeah. If I'm looking to buy a game, I just go to the store, I go to the search thing and like look for the kind of thing that I want, as opposed to just like, it's a game mm-hmm. that came out this week, so it's probably fine. I'll just mm-hmm. go play it. <laughs> so the short of it so. for Flyop is, uh, is that we looked at what the message was we were sending with the trailer, which although I agree, it's funny. I'm glad you liked it. Um, it was far more focused actually on the deep part of the game, which is not necessarily something that someone can get excited about until they're excited about the initial like first, you know, basically the, just the initial playing of the game. And so we tried to focus, shift the focus on that. And we did actually see a positive result. 
uh, overall in terms of sales and stuff. So did, yeah. yeah. Well, this is also another interesting challenge where, so you guys know, so Rocket League went free to play. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to say a year ago. It was, it was a while that, yeah. ago. Um, and something that's really interesting about it is that their new player numbers skyrocketed and then immediately returned to normal. Hmm. Yeah, we also saw that right. with, uh, what's that, Space Spreadsheets game? EVE Online. EVE Online. Yeah. <laughs> they went free to play in, I think, 2016. New, new player accounts skyrocketed, returned to normal. Hmm. Uh, and, and so there's this weird thing. And, and then, of course, like now that the game is free, they had to do a ton of work to figure out how to monetize stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they rebuilt all kinds of things in the game, which ended up almost exclusively affecting the people who were already playing it or mm-hmm. who were going to play it anyway, because almost none of the free players stuck around. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So um, converted people who were subscription users into people who are now buying no, microtransactions, microtransactions or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And otherwise, like nothing really changes for anybody anywhere. Um, and so this is it's kind of similar to the problem of, of a store page, right? Which is like you can get people to look at the thing, but then there's like these extra layers of the funnel where people just get churned out just all the time. And so I know that that Eve also rebuilt their entire new player experience at that time. Mm. Um, but it's such a complex game that they only really got about five percent of the way into <laughs> of it, right? Uh, before they so like they kind of like start you on a couple of different paths, and then they just kind of like throw you off into space by yourself. Yep. Um, and so they like, and they, then they rebuilt the new player experience again, I think in like 2019 and then they just did it again. Um, and so like, so it's a, it's kind of like how, like we're always like, you know, reworking the, the level head store page or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's this, this problem of, of thinking like, there must be something, there must be something that if we do it, that, that new people coming in will be like, oh, I get this now. Like, I didn't get it, but now I get it and I'm interested, right? Yep. But that is actually, I don't think that's real. Sure I don't think it's a real true, thing no. that happens. Because yeah. the, the decision making is happening at a much higher people. level. Yeah. It won't bring in a different kind yeah. of person. I think, I think basically, unless you like did a really bizarre like initial marketing effort that like, yeah. Didn't like, if you did, if you did like a really shitty job, like a really shitty yeah. job, then like, okay. But if you did like a good job, but executed on like, you know, like a medium idea, about what was happening, then going mm-hmm. from that to like a re- a good a job, really good. A slightly better, like a better idea. The gap is actually not. I think that yeah, and, yeah. which yeah, and it's, it could be big enough that it makes you know a substantial difference to your bottom line. So it's not that it's not oh, yeah. worth doing, but it's also not worth obsessing over. And, and also the idea that like there's going to be some way you can just literally turn it around. Like there'll be like a switch, you know, that if you just get the right combo of things, and then the thing ex- explodes. Right. Um, that's the one because because for me the the thing that has always bugged me that I still think is true is that a game that is good and unique, whatever it is, is going to have some niche. There are people who would love it, right? There are a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people who play games. And so even a really small niche, like there's actually a lot of people who would like, who would buy and play and really enjoy that game. Um, and the, the, the thing is always getting those people to see it, right? It's a lot less about converting the masses, than it is about how do you get those people to see it, right? And uh, and that's the part that's always like for me. I'm like, how, how do we saturate our market? Like the market's out there. How do we do it? And like the answer is mostly that you just kind of you just kind of can't because at that point it's about do enough people know about it. Yeah, that's, that's the people who would like it. That, yeah, yep. that it, yeah, that it moves naturally through there. And and that's that's where you use whatever algorithms that you have access to. So like Steam's tag system. That's like that's its whole purpose actually is to show your game to people who would probably like, like it. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
would probably but, like. But even like as a, as a person who like, I as a person who is a chartered financial analyst who's obsessed with space and video games, mm-hmm. I still did not pick up Eve Online until twelve years after it launched. <laughs> 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 we talk right? about this so like, like with RimWorld and stuff too, right? It's like Rim once World, across yeah, 20,000 like reviews, you're like, all right, okay, I'll give it a try. All right, fine. Yep, fine. We'll, we'll see. Well, we'll I think see the, about the truth yeah. is like there's so many things you can do with your time, right? There's just so yeah. many. And, and not just in the game space, but like just so many things. And so the reality is like the stuff has to have proven itself or be so exciting. It's one of the two. Yeah. Uh, it just hit you squarely in the chest where you're like, I need it. I just need it. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, it, it is very rarely the case that my decision about playing a video game is between playing which two games. It's almost always between: yes. Do I want to like, or do I need to do chores, or do I want to play with the cats, or do I yeah. uh, want to hang out with my wife? Do I want to watch a movie? Like, it's it's all of those things against games. And then once I, it's it's against the funnel, right? Yep. So then once I'm past that part, now there's a conversion rate between where I am ready to play a game, which game we're going to play. And the game that I end up playing is almost always like something that is particularly interesting, that's fairly new, that people have been raving about long enough that I heard about it, right? Uh, yeah, and that's that's basically. Or if it. or if you were already in the middle of playing another game, then you'll probably pop that game open again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's come back to it and keep playing that until you kind of hit whatever point where you're just like, eh, well, you're kind of done with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, there, there's a stickiness to that as well. Um, which, which I think I don't, I don't think people people recognize enough because it's something that's really hard to measure, right? But when you have a huge number of people who are are gamers, you know, who who do buy games or whatever, uh, when they're when they end up with a default game for a period of time, right? So like maybe like Fortnite is out, mm-hmm. and a lot of people who play video games are playing Fortnite for a couple of months, right? So they they don't. Their their habit changes during that time, so they're not they don't pop open Steam and go browse the the new game releases because they have a game that they're already wanting to play and they're going to play it and they just boot it up because mm-hmm. they've got it right. And so there's this there's also a suppression thing that kind of happens comes at various waves. points in time that comes in waves as some of these games hit sort of like cultural uh, cultural phenomenon you know mm-hmm. thresholds or whatever. So there's a lot of weird stuff to it, uh, but. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think we a, should say that this of, is because uh, we talked a fair bit about our approach to Crashlands too, and it's entirely built around this exact idea and problem, which is that we need it to be the case that when people see the market materials for Crashlands two, their only thought is, "I I want to be in there. I want, I want this. I want this." Right? Because that's like that's the that's the bar. Because like, if you think about your own experience with games, right? It's even if it was a game that you like, you got later that other people did. When you saw it, like well, the first time I saw a Hollow Knight uh, pop up, you know, I clicked it, right? I watched the videos. I was like, oh, this looks really cool, right? But I didn't, I wasn't like, at the time, I was like, I don't really feel like playing a platformer though. Good genre, mm-hmm. right? But it was like, yeah. But like, it looked genre so levels. cool and, and interesting that like, I still kind of wanted to be in there, you know? And and it was then just, a, it, was a, it was just a matter of time before like I'd heard enough good stuff about it. And the whole time though, it wasn't that I was being convinced, right? The whole time I knew I wanted to be in there. Right, there was just a threshold of like the, the actual experience you of the doing moment. It. Yeah, I needed the moment, right? And because I already wanted to be in there, then it was just in my brain, bouncing around, and moments were just happening. And then eventually, the moment was right, you know. And then I got it and played the shit out of it because it matched what it looked like it was going to. Because that's what everybody said, right? Uh, and trying to find, trying to do that is that's the lesson we've learned from our past games, right? Is that that's actually what has to happen somehow. Is you have to. Mm-hmm. 
you have to make somebody look at the thing that you made without even experiencing it yet. With, and have they'll have no idea what it's going to feel like to experience it. They can't. And despite that, they'll look at the thing that you made and just say, I, I, need, this. I, I need this. And I don't know why. I just know that I need to, because like, because I, I don't, I don't really play platformers that much. I'm right? not here to convince you. This thing is like, I'm not here to convince it. you anymore. It's like, I, if we have to yeah. get into a bullet list thing about what Scott, what it versus a, like, I'm, it's just, we've already lost. It's not about bullets. Yes. It's like, I need you to look at it and just have yep. an emotional sense that you just need it and just then rationalize. And then I'm going to rely on you to rationalize that fact until the moment you get it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what. Yeah. We, we always, we always reflect on the no man's sky thing as like the quintessential emotional bombastic mar- marketing moment. Right. Because like when they unveiled that thing, it was like three years before they launched it or whatever. Right. Yep. But they, I can't, I can't remember if it was, if, if it was first they showed the scene or if second they showed the scene, but they had those lines where they were like, Every rock procedural, right? And then rock mm-hmm. turns into like tree and then like like whatever, animal, plant. Yeah, and then it like and then it ends on every atom procedural, right? Which is of course complete bullshit. Like yeah, you're marketing. not programming yeah. atoms in a video game. Uh that's too much. That's too much CPU. What is this? Blockchain. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So so uh there's like this hook, right? But again, like procedural generation had been a thing for a long time already. At yeah, that that's point. not interesting. Yep. So that's not really interesting, right? But then when they when they go to the gameplay footage and they show like this person walking through a forest, just like a weird rhino thing rampaging around, there's animals and it's flying like around. Bizarre alien landscape. So yeah. And then and then you see little things popping up on the screen. We're like, oh you've discovered this new species yeah. or whatever. And then and then the person ju- and you're like, oh okay, I get it. Like these are all procedurally generated. That's that's pretty wild, right? Yeah. And then the person jumps into their spaceship, and you're like, "I'm sorry, spaceship." And then, and then it goes up, and then it shoots off into space, and then there's like a space battle happening, and you're like, "Procedurally generated space battle? Forget everything. I just need it. I need it now. Yeah. And then they start warping. They go to another planet, and you're like, "Oh, okay. So like, it's it's big. This game's really big, right? Which is weirdly like enough." Of a hook where you just think to yourself, like, I gotta, I gotta yeah. get in there. Just yeah. because it shows, that, it shows the, it connects to that idea of like, of being a space explorer. Like, it very deeply connects to that, like, yeah. sort of fantasy yeah. that a lot of people have had ever, which is just like, man, it'd be, how crazy to like, you know, everyone's yeah. seen Skywalker where you're flying around an X Wing and like hopping in that ship and flying off planet. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, you, yeah. you land on, but, it, but, but importantly, yeah, you know, it's like, so fucking cool. It's know? like the, it's like the show don't tell mantra, right? Like, yeah. and importantly, at no point did they say, like, No Man's Sky, live the fantasy of being a space explorer, right? Like, <laughs> like they didn't, they, they, they didn't need to say that because they like, showed you yeah. that that's what the game is. And then yeah. you, you know, well, yeah, and, you, and, then, and then they made up a bunch of other stuff later, yeah. which wasn't in the game. That that was a problem, yeah. right? Yeah. But the hook, the hook was like so potent. Well, I think you can see this so. too with like if you compare Subnautica against. There's a bunch of uh, games that came out. I don't know if it's the same-ish time. Like my sense of time scale is whack. But then there's a, there's a game like Salt. I think is what it was called. There, there were a handful of these like survival games Ocean. that were kind of based on water stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Subnautica's selling point was look how beautiful this place and how alien and weird it is and like and look you're just like underwater oh my god you're in a giant submarine oh you're being attacked by this like enormous beast mm-hmm. like like that's that's what it didn't say we're a survival game right 
and showed it to you because you were in a survival games probably, yeah. right? But that's not and what they it didn't, was about. Yeah, they didn't show you a bullet list of like, here's how our crafting system works. Eat yeah. food to survive. Right? Eat food, yeah. And no, they, no, well, they yeah. all these other games <laughs> that were kind of coming at the same time that were kind of like in the same vibe, right? It's like, if, it seems like if you're into Subnautica, you should also be into these other games, right? And I'm pretty sure a bunch of those games did well because that is an evergreen genre of, <laughs> you know, survival crafting. And so the fact that survival is enough definitely to bring people in, but like not at Subnautica levels, you know? But yeah. It's a whole other level. Yep. Yep. That yeah, that was that was not selling the fact that it's a survival game. That mm-hmm. was selling a vibe mm-hmm. where you just wanted to be of, in there. Of just diving deep into an alien ocean. Yeah. How fucking yeah. cool. It's fucking cool. That is because that is cool. Or it's like Ark with right. dinosaurs. Like it sells you riding dinosaurs. I didn't give a shit about yep. any of the rest. Yep. Of, right. It was like I don't care how the rest of the game dinosaurs. works. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, I think that's. I think we got to stop there, you guys. As much as I do want to keep talking about awesome. awesome <laughs> Let's trailers. be done. Uh, all right. So we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.